This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you? It was a long weekend of doing nothing. Good. <laughs> That's actually fantastic. But you can feel all the little bits sticking together. That's a good thing. Hey, it's November. It is November. That means we've been doing this for, let me see, 153 times. Holy, that's so cool, eh? I like that. Well done, us. Well done, all of the people who've talked to us. (laughs) I know. And who are we talking to today? Uh, Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Anna Hughes. Uh, She is an outdoor education teacher at Waimea College in Nelson, uh, mum of two, formerly uh, from Otago Polytech and involved in the Every Graduate is a Sustainable Practitioner project, which I'm super excited to hear about. And thanks for coming and joining us today, Anna. It's a real privilege to have you here. Kia you're welcome. Welcome, Anna. How has your bubble life been in, you're in Mochawaka, aren't you? Yeah, Tasman Village, just uh, just just Nelson side of Motueka. So, how was your bubble life? Well, bubble life was uh, was remarkably good. And I actually felt quite guilty about enjoying it so much. <laughs> felt very privileged actually about where we live, who we're surrounded by, um, the resources we have, our income. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to get out and about within the, the rules? We did. We did. We've got um, a fantastic uh, natural surroundings here. Being a small village, kind of probably a kilometre from a rocky but beautiful beach. Uh, state highway over the hill, but between us and the state highway is a fantastic ridge line that you can run, walk ride along and make a little circuit kind of around around the village so we were very fortunate and were you working um yes not during not during uh level four because they shifted the government shifted the school holidays so um we kind of essentially had school holidays for two weeks. Actually, more like four weeks of school holidays. And then when we moved into um, Level 3, working remotely, um, of course, 
but trying to teach outdoor ed online is challenging. I was that was my that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was interesting, and had had some great conversations with other outdoor ed teachers, and we we're all doing quite different things. Um, we're trying to keep things as practical as possible, so having little kind of YouTube tutorials that they could watch around knot tying, and then they'd film themselves tying a knot and post it on our um, group page. But it was, yeah, it was it was tricky. There were there were some people that were really engaged. Actually, some that were more engaged in that setting than they were necessarily in the classroom, which was interesting. Um, but some that we just didn't didn't really hear from, and some who I who I actually got was concerned about and contacted their folks but and so that was really good too to to you know check in and just find out their situation and understand why why it wasn't working for them online i presume the people doing outdoor education are the people who enjoy not being in a classroom anyway yeah mostly um some of them aren't really that keen to be <laughs> out there doing things but they're not um they're also not kind of traditional reader writer sit in a classroom people so outdoor education wasn't or isn't the ideal but it is a good alternative to that sitting in a classroom yeah so did you have them planning the trips that they were going to be able to take and so on <laughs> no because we just didn't know i mean our, our, all our term one trips were cancelled or postponed actually i just got off um, a sea kite trip last week um, which had been postponed from term one. So it's pretty exciting to be able to do that in term four, somewhat late. But, um, yeah, you're great to be able to. I mean, I went on camp with uh, my class of year 12 a few weeks ago, and it was the first and last camp of the year, and normally they would have three. So they've been pretty pretty disappointed with their lot this year, I guess. Um, yeah, so, so what were they, they were doing online was um, one, one, one of my classes were looking at uh, risk management so that was quite theoretical and lots of them really struggled with that and so we didn't get a lot out of them and had to pretty much redo it when we got back to school. Um, the other class we just kept it as pra practical as possible, we we're moving into a, a rock climbing um, scheme and uh, so we had them not tying and researching famous climbers and their style of climbing so understanding climbing a little bit and doing something practical and a lot of the time we're just trying to get them to post a, a picture or a video of them out there doing something so that we're encouraging them to get out of their house and actually stay fit keep exercising and stay sane did you manage to stay fit and stay sane yourself yeah, I did. I did, actually. It was quite a treat. Uh, we did something every day as a family. Um, for the first wee while, actually, we kind of, the, the kids fell off the bandwagon a little bit <laughs> towards the end. Um, but, you know, we've got this fantastic loop that I was talking around talking about, and we walked that once or twice, I think, and that's about an hour and a quarter um, to ride it. It's half an hour, so that was a, that was a good alternative if um, we're struggling with, you know, inertia. <laughs> um, yeah, and walking to the beach. Yeah, we got it. We got out a lot, even just walking around the block. And there were lots of other local families around walking around the block, so we could wave at them from across the road. And yeah, it was it was good. One of the things that people have been talking about is how can we hold on to that 
that, yes. that sort of that that being together as families and doing stuff. Because even though we have holidays every year, we are so busy having a holiday in sort of quotes. I'm doing air quotes here um, that we forget about the the what it's about. Yeah, that's right. So, so what were the solutions? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, we have tried to hold on to that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, when when we went down to level two and then level one, it was kind of like um, my friend described it as post lockdown whiplash, which I think was a really good description because it was kind of like Whoa, back into it. You know, um, let's cram what we've missed into whatever we've got left, and it was just craziness so that was pretty hard to um to go from that really nice time of time with your family time being able to cook everything from scratch work in your garden um just really connect to suddenly being super busy and oh hi bye again um we did just recently use the long weekend and did a tramp together as a family did the the classic abel tasman national park walk so that was really good and we're, and we're reasonably good at doing that um because we are quite an outdoorsy family um but yeah it's tricky it's tricky to to maintain that kind of that relaxed calmness and that time make that time for each other now that we're back into it i did enjoy the photos that you had on facebook of the that tramp I recognise all of those beaches. I think I could probably name the the, the beaches you are on. Oh, well done! My husband's a um, videographer and photographer, so um, they're his beautiful photos. Yeah, and Totonui, even when it's crowded with people, which it wasn't when you were there, is a, a truly stunning sight. It is. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing beach. Yeah, amazing place. Let's we're very lucky. Let's take 660, uh, Don't Forget Your Roots, the Tereo Maori version. Why this? Uh, oh, my kids have really got into it. Um, takes me back to Dunedin when 660 were a little uni band there when we were living down there. Um, love that lots of um, Kiwi artists are now singing their songs in Te Reo Māori, um, or translating them and singing them in Te Reo Māori. Uh, yeah, my children listen to it lots. And my son's better at singing along than I am. That's why. Mawera, what are you doing? Stripping mint leaves off for my mint and coriander pesto to go with the orzo salad to go with the goat korma for the competition today. Go through that a bit. <laughs> go through that more slowly. <laughs> So these, uh, I stripped the mint off my um, the stalks. These are mints. I've got mint and coriander out of my garden, and I'm making a pesto to go with the orzo salad, and that goes with my goat korma for the competition today. Wow, tino pie! <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's the local wild food challenge. So I'm entering my goat dish, and Jack is entering his lemon cake with eggs that um, from his chickens that he's grown. So yeah, so he's currently writing the story of how he came to be the the uh, carer of chickens, which is really good. Haven't you judged that in the past? Yep, 
last four years this is my first year not judging i didn't want to this year because i can't since my hypnosis i just can't eat like that anymore yeah i got hypnotized and i uh for it's called a virtual gastric band where it, it makes you think you have a gastric band oh wow and i've lost 50 kilos now and i just can't i can't eat like a judge anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> oh now you get to enter that's fantastic yeah it's really and good so what's your mint to coriander ratio for your pesto? I'm intrigued by that. Uh, it's one cup of mint leaves, no stalks, and one and a half cups of coriander with stalks. Mm, so it'd be and, quite minty. Um, yeah, really minty, and so it'll go beautifully with the korma. Mm. Uh, and also in that pesto goes some almonds, roasted almonds, unsalted, uh, oil, and no cheese. So it's, a, it's good for vegans and vegetarians mm. as well. Mm. Wow, I might have to try that. Yeah, it's fun. We won't be trying it at our house because Leslie has got a coriander detector. She can smell <laughs> a coriander a mile off because she says it tastes like soap. <laughs> oh, I feel so sad for her. That has got to be like the saddest thing in the world. Imagine not being able to eat coriander. Mm. Yeah. I hated it when I first tasted it. Did you? Yeah, now I love it. It's so yum. No, her, her whole family think it's the most disgusting food ever. Oh 
po i tangata ai koe i hari mai a koe kia mo ki to ukai po kia mo hoki ki to Anna, did you garden during lockdown? I did. I did a lot of garden during lockdown, and my winter garden was amazing. But a slightly different story now, but um, yeah, we were eating a lot out of the garden. Um, lots of pesto. That it was the end of the uh, basil season up here. Going, you know, all going to seed. So I made a lot of pesto, which is why I was interested in your recipe, Maueda. Um. Yeah, 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 it was fantastic. It's it's looking a bit sad at the moment. Yeah, been a bit busy now. But that's the kind of thing, I mean, I love just kind of getting back to those basics, you know. We did heaps of gardening, heaps of cooking from scratch. Um, Managed to get a sourdough starter off a friend just before lockdown and got back into making bread, which we're now not not doing anymore. Um, Yeah, all all that fantastic stuff. Kombucha, um, still doing the kombucha. Yeah, lot, lots of fantastic things like that that we did over lockdown. But yeah, had to scale back somewhat because they're all just so time-consuming as much as they're fantastic things to do. You do need another full-time life to get them done in. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't it, that we have to work so hard to not do the things we want to be doing? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was thinking about, um, I mean, for us, it's, it's just a, a crazy time of life, really, where we've got young children that need lots of support and attention and, and help in life. And we also have a mortgage and we want to provide um, comfort and opportunities to our kids as well. So we're in this in the struggle of um, you know wanting to live simply and, and do everything from scratch and not move very far from home. Um, but we also have to pay off a mortgage and we also have to support our kids and what and what they want to do. So it's a, it's an interesting time of life really it's a busy time of life and I think that lockdown was really good to reflect on that and go how can we how can we still make it an an enjoyable and a um, connected time of life for for all of us yeah how did you explain what was going on to the to the kids um that's a very good question we tried not to be alarmist about it, um, especially our youngest. He worries. He's quite a worrier and he takes things on. And um, at the moment, he's pushing us really hard to get solar panels because he's concerned about climate change. Um, 
which we are going to do. Yeah, so so we tried not to, I especially tried not to listen to the news, and, and we didn't have a TV, so that was easy, and, I, and it was it's easy just to not look at it on the computer. Um, my husband was keener, he wanted to know what was going on all the time, um, but also very aware that he didn't want the kids to be exposed to it constantly. So I guess we just talked about um, what we were learning as new information came out about the virus, and we did it. We did it in a very practical, calm kind of way. Like we want the kids to know we're not going to keep them ignorant, but at the same time we didn't want to be alarmist about it. So it was better that we we listened to the information, read the information alone, and then interpret that to them um, in a way that we felt that they could take that on and be okay with that. Yeah. What do you think we're learning from how we've responded to the pandemic for the those bigger sorts of questions, the climate change or social justice or it, it, there's a long list? Mm. Oh, what are we learning? Not enough. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's kind of people have got all consumed by it from from my perspective I, I guess I see people being all consumed by this pandemic and everything else has been forgotten and actually I don't know I think there's some really good lessons in how we've responded particularly in New Zealand and come together and how we've had um, leadership that's focused on us coming together and being a, a team of however many million um, rather than blaming and fighting and um yeah trying to find other ways i guess i think i feel like the way that we've gone about it has been really positive um and i think that we can we can take that experience and that knowledge and transfer it to all the other challenges that we have in life and i just really hope that we do that as a nation and, and as a um as a world, really, which is tricky when other nations have done it quite differently, I guess. That positive framing we can transfer, do you think? Because we're not very good at that yeah. in things like climate change, are we? We, we? we start every conversation about climate change with a picture of a polar bear <laughs> looking sad on an ice, on an ice floe. That's right, that's right, and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, it's just people get that... Um, oh, there's a term for it, you're not, Sam. They just kind of freeze up with fear and they just don't do anything because they're scared and they feel like they can't do anything. Um, what is that term? Do you, <laughs> do you know it? Um, yeah, so I think we need to frame things positively. We need to go, hey, we can do this. Um, and also look at it in a really localised way. Like, we didn't really consider solar panels much when we lived in Dunedin, but now we live in the sunshine capital. You know, it's like, why haven't we got solar panels? Why doesn't everybody have solar panels? But then I guess there's that argument of, um, and I'm always back and forth with anything to do with sustainability, uh, is that we're, we're a very high percentage of um, clean green energy on, you know, through the grid anyway. So... Do we need to be bringing in solar panels because they have a lifespan then what happens to them and you know if we then connect a battery to that there's huge issues with that i travel um quite a long way for work 30 kilometers each way really really struggle with that really hate the drive um 
And so we looked at getting an electric car, but then we're like, actually, this car that we bought for my husband's business when we first moved up here, it's still got a lot of life in it. So then, yes, we'd be selling it to someone else, but then we're creating demand for another vehicle. Should we be doing that? <laughs> you know, should we see this one? It's all, it's just, um, there's so many pros and cons, you know, that, that whole, if you start thinking systematically, you just get mind boggled by things. So I, well, I do anyway. So I'm not sure what, there isn't one answer, really. Um, I guess we've just got to make decisions based on what works for us and what we think is the most sustainable for now and into the future. And anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. And <laughs> probably those two things you talked about, the, the fact that we're doing it together um, and the, the being positive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you take things down to a micro level that's what you do as a family, isn't it? Isn't that what you do with your partner? And then why can't we do that on a bigger bigger scale? Because that works and it creates happiness and it creates good outcomes. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tahoho. We're all having the best day, beautiful superstars. And your beloved universes, and I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening with you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are of nature's art. Perfect, unique and things be. Thank you. So beautiful people, like a very interesting day. I've been looking forward to talking to you all about it and I'm just so grateful for these five minutes together each day. And today, it was a huge day, so much got done. My wonderful other mother and I oiled Mahawika's new palatial laying palace or mansion for Hey Hey HQ. So she will be relocated from her current laying palace where she's sitting upon eight fertile eggs. Fingers crossed, everything crossed. I'm going to try candling them tomorrow so I'll find out. And it was a really beautiful, hot, sun Eden, sun Eden, fun Eden, pun Eden, yum Eden day. And... I got all of these wonderful bumper stickers sorted for Bar Base with my wonderful friend Rosa who runs Bar Base. So we'll be able to give them to all the members to celebrate. And then we had a big celebration for Colin Campbell Hunt, who's been the chairman of Orokanui for a long time. And his wife, Diane, helped set it all up right in the beginning. And then she unfortunately passed away and he's kept all her work and everything going. So he is now stepping down and doing a lot of other really amazing creative projects about her and their life together, which is very inspiring. So it was a, a bit of a farewell for him, but it was just amazing, of course, to really acknowledge the big impact that he's made for everybody and have everyone celebrate and speak about how he had helped them and inspired them. And so, of course, this got me thinking about the importance of these rituals in our lives and the importance of acknowledging the impact that we have on one another because of course we we do we constantly affect one another and inspire other and illuminate for one another where we are at whether consciously or not and of course I've been working through a lot of my own patterns of behavior and it's really important to me of course that I have a positive impact on those around me and on myself now and going into the church and part of that of course is about really connecting with who we are so we can 
be the best version of ourselves and so we can draw that forth from those around us give others the space to really be themselves and really share with us who they are and that's all about that very very delicate and fascinating balance of coming forward 50% and allowing others to also meet us there in the middle that that wonderful balance so it was a very interesting evening all these different people of course who have been involved with Orokanoe all contributing something different and for Colin it's time for to focus on other aspects of his life but I said to him you know that he'll always be connected to Orokanoe that will never go away and this is true for all of us however we want to frame things however we want to consciously acknowledge things we are always connected to all life in an infinite web and to all projects that we've given our energy to even if we move to a different point of connection with them we don't as directly impact them still connected to them and it was wonderful seeing a lot of the previous people who have been involved with Orokanoi watching a video of when the fence was opened to the public for the first time and the Waitati militia played their, their tin drums and the whole community came in and the last person to come through was Isabel Fraser when she was only four and I'd love to recreate the picture with her now you know almost 20 years later so very exciting and yeah so I really hope that for all of you whatever rituals you are observing whatever you are choosing to acknowledge and celebrate that you're feeling that sense of connection and that you too are being celebrated for all your country and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with Anna Hughes so are you people are talking about a, a reset how are you seeing the the reset in terms of what happens now are we recovering are we back to business as usual are we going for a regeneration how are you seeing the the opportunity well I mean, it looks like back to business as usual <laughs> sadly um i mean i think there's opportunity but yeah i'm not sure i think i think the election was a bit of an opportunity I'm not sure that we got it quite right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how we reset. You know, like, like what triggers it and who initiates it and where do we go? Yeah, I have more questions than I do answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, of all the things that we have seen over the last few months, at sort of a societal level, perhaps, what do you think is going to stick, and what do you hope will stick? I think I hope the behind sticks, and I think that that is sticking. Um, I mean, it, we all live in a bubble, don't we? And, and I think um, I think in my bubble, in the in the groups of people that I'm in, the communities I'm in, that seems to have stuck. I can't speak for for the rest of the country, but um, I think it will continue to stick now that um, we have the same prime minister rolling over with that same message. I really hope that that does. I think that's um, kind of the key to, to lots of things, really. Uh, maybe that could trigger the reset. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Be kind to the planet. Yeah. That's such a simple and positive message. We do have to wonder why we weren't doing it before. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. And I guess we just didn't have um we didn't have the leadership around that. Um and, and maybe that's maybe it took a whole lot of these crises that we've had over the last few years to actually go, it is that simple. Yeah, and for for our leader to say it is that simple. I but think I guess the action's gotta come after that too, you know, we've got to act on that and that's gotta be in the forefront of our minds with all our decisions that we make. I certainly think that the speed at which the responses that we've had to the the challenges the country's had, so the pandemic and um and Christchurch, the fact that the, that response has come out so quickly, like within hours, suggests that it hasn't gone through a sort of a focus group and a you know this is how we should respond. That's just how it's been obvious that that's been the response, mm. which suggests that it is deeply held values, not just a bolt on. This looks good. This is how we should respond. This is clearly a. This is you know this is our passion. This is how we're going to respond. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I feel like I'm, I have some um, interests and I don't know if empathy is the right word for, for consensus decision making. But when it comes to crisis, and, and as an outdoor ed teacher, this is something that I do as well. You know, I try to work with my students a lot. But when it comes to a crisis, this is what you're doing and this is how it's happening and we're doing this right now and you listen to me and I'm the authority and I'm the leader and this is how we're managing that. And I think um, that's, what's, that's what has to happen and we, we, need, um, we need leaders that, like you say, hold those values so that their instant response is for the good of everybody when we hit those crises. Yeah, crises. We've talked about this a lot in the past. Can you teach those sorts of values? When we've been trying to teach people to be a sustainable practitioner, we can dead easy teach that this is how you respond in a sustainable way. You know, the, the, these are the things that you do. You know, this is a simple level. This is how you do your composting. This is whether you know how you make the decisions about whether or not you bike or or, or take the car or all those sorts of things. But you pretty soon realise when you're doing that sort of education that. It's really about the values that matter. Can you teach those? <laughs> Good question, Sam. <laughs> um, I think you can, but and, and this is something that I realised over lockdown too, is that, um, and with my own children, that home is the biggest influencer. You know, school, yeah, school can influence a little bit, but actually home is where the values are set. Um, so I guess that's that's where the education needs to happen and how do we support that education in the home environment I guess it comes down to and when my kids were younger I was a bit, big advocate for this and it's support for um, families with young children support for those adults for the parents um, you know how do they want to raise their kids because for, for many many adults it's not how they were raised so um, I guess more more money and emphasis and time and support and research into supporting people to raise raise children and raise children in a way 
that is good for everybody, good for society and good for the planet. Because schools can only do so much. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that um, my experience of, of my children schooling from home for those few weeks that they did, oh, it was hard. You know, I was trying, trying to justify being paid as a teacher by teaching out to read online. A nightmare. Half the teachers didn't engage. Half the students didn't engage anyway. And then trying to support because my husband went back to work, trying to support my own kids to do the what seemed like a massive list of tasks every day that they got from their teacher. And in the end, it was just like, "What do you want to do today?" Oh, I'm. And, and one thing I did is I um, learned some varanga and I taught myself online. And so my youngest joined me and learned a little bit of that as well. I'm like, "Great, this is." This is schooling from home. You know, they spent quite a lot of time across the road in the trees building huts. I'm like, that's great. That's schooling from home, you know. And if that's what they need to do right now, then that's what they need to do. And I'm not going to force them to do this stuff online that, that I know that their teacher is doing to justify being paid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, that, that's what made me think actually home is the biggest influencer in terms of values in terms of um, what these young people grow up showing as teenagers and then going in into the workforce as adults and, and still maintaining, still holding on to. And, yeah, I mean, school and other, other things can influence those, but home's the biggest. And if they're set really strong at home, it's really hard to, to change them anywhere else. Yeah, I just had a, um, the camp that I was on recently Part of the unit standard, the camping unit standard, was a lot around leave no trace and looking after the environment, which for me is, I feel is quite token. You know, it's like, of course we pick up our rubbish. That's just, you know, it's just what you do. What, why aren't we going back to, what rubbish are you creating in the first place? How are you thinking about what you eat? <laughs> in reality, can't even get these kids to eat a vegetable, let alone think about the packaging that they're buying, you know? So... Yeah, again, it's it's what they experience or what they're allowed to do um, at home. You know, I guess in terms of what they're allowed to do, it's for my kids, they, they've grown up eating vegetables. They didn't have any other choice. They'd go hungry if they didn't. But other families don't have that in place. So um, these kids don't grow up eating vegetables. They get away with not eating them. And therefore, we're creating more packaging from the processed crap that they do eat and it's not good for the their health either you know we're just increasing morbidity and mortality through that as well and so that was a big um i guess reminder eye-opener and reminder for me that my influence is so minimal compared to the influence of home let's take benny she won an award with this Last week, Glitter. Excellent. Chosen by your son, apparently. Yes. <laughs> Everyone else has left now. I bet that this got you stressed out. Wondering what can we do now? Baby, let it burn out.
race against the sunlight Wanna have a long night Night mysteries, night mysteries Under spotlight, don't let me out of your sight Two energies, two energies So I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, <laughs> oh my biggest success is probably um, navigating and enjoying the secondary school environment. <laughs> really wasn't sure that I was going to. Um, I did a you know, did the post-grad, whatever it is, teaching a long time ago, 20 years ago, in fact. And the last two years, the first years, I've actually taught in a in a high school. I've always been in an outdoor centre or, you know, the polytech or council. Um, and the school system just made me shiver when I thought about it. Um, but I've actually really enjoyed it. And I've actually discovered that I really like teenagers, crazy, messed up people that they are. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's probably been my biggest success is is uh, finding discovering that. Even the year tens. I don't teach year tens, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but I did enjoy the year nines I taught last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Year tens probably the biggest challenge, but yeah, no. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's mm -hmm. Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that has got you into the mansion? Oh, gosh. My superpower. Um, I guess the, the good, I feel like the good work that I've done and hopefully continue to do is around um, people and community and helping them feel um wanted and feel a part of something and feel heard um i try to do that with my students but uh, three years ago i um had a contract with the vision motueka development trust up here 
and we were all about working with young people in Motueka to find out how we can support them to stay in Motueka and what was needed to be in place for them to have kind of meaningful activity and work in this place, which is very um, transient, very seasonal, um, huge percentage of retired people, tiny percentage of young people, which is not going to continue to work into the future. Um, yeah, I guess I guess my superpower is kind of perhaps um, seeing opportunities for community and um, initiating initiating something positive around that. Um, I guess another example is uh, I've really got back into time in the outdoors. Having moved up here, it's just the playground up here is amazing. Um, and got back into my rock climbing, and there's a, a climbing wall in a local recreation centre that is just was is not being used. And so I've started a, a community trust to work with that um, government-owned recreation centre, which is proving rather challenging, to have it utilised and and get local climbers, young and old, um, in there on the wall, so that they have some skill and a safe environment to then. Go take on the real rock. So I guess um, I just saw that as an opportunity and, and did something about it. Haven't quite got there yet, but doing something about it. Where does that come from? That community, not necessarily spirit, but almost community responsibility. Are people born with it? Um, I don't know. Now we're going to get into nature nurture, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was role modelled to me. So um, I think it's something that is learnt. Yeah. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I stand up for what I believe in, and I um, speak my mind <laughs> a little bit too bluntly sometimes. Um, yeah. I. I, I one of my things that I really, really dislike is injustice, and so I'm someone who, um, yeah, takes that takes it on, I guess, and stands up and, and tries to be a voice for justice. Yeah. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, the outdoors, getting out there, getting amongst it sunshine up here <laughs> uh, and my children and my husband and my students my colleagues yeah people people in the outdoors so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years um <clears throat> finding some long-term employment <laughs> i may um i guess i've suffered through this covid uh, you know, the trickle-down effect of that, having no international students come into the country. Um, so I don't have any work next year because outdoor education is a very expensive program. One of the classes I taught was purely international students. Um, and with them not being in here, they've cut my classes, basically. And last in, first out. So, um, yeah, I'm looking for 
we'll work along the lines that I've been doing because I'm really enjoying it um, and hopefully something that is a little more sustainable in the long term. Good luck finding that. Thank Lastly, you. do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> um, don't listen to advice. Follow your heart. <laughs> no, not really. Um, uh, you know, we all come from such different places and such different situations. It would be tricky to give any meaningful advice for everybody. Yeah. That's a good paradox. Don't listen to this advice. <laughs> Moera. Yeah. It's, it's such a gift, isn't it, to um, give inspiration and excitement to the outdoors for kids and, um, you know, give them safe practice and, and give them those opportunities to do things they wouldn't do otherwise, especially in this, this digital age where everyone's sitting in front of some sort of machine. And so it's a beautiful thing you do, and thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you, Maweda. We take their phones off them on camp, and they realise that they can actually have a good time with each other and not their devices. So good. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to meet you. You too. We'll go out to Bob Dylan, Tangled Up in Blue. Mix it up. Early one morning the sun was shining. I was laying in bed. Wondering if she'd changed it all if her hair was still red. Her folks, they said our lives together sure was gonna be rough. They never did like mama's homemade dress. Papa's banquet wasn't big enough. I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes. Heading out for the East Coast, Lord knows I paid some dues getting through. Tangled up in blue. She was married when we first met, soon to be divorced. Helped her out of a jam, I guess But I used a little too much force We drove that car as far as we could Abandoned it out west Split up on the docks at night But the green it was best And she turned around to look at me As I was walking away I heard her say over my shoulder We'll meet again someday On the avenue Tangled up in blue Job in the great north woods Working as a cook for a spell But I never did like it all that much And one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans So I lucky with a being employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix But all the while I was alone The past was close behind I seen a lot of women But she never escaped my mind And I just grew This place and I stopped in for a beer I just kept looking at the side of her face And the spotlight so clear 
Later on when the crowd thinned out, I was just about to do the same. She was standing there in back of my chair. I said, Jimmy, don't I know your name? I muttered something underneath my breath. She studied the lines of my face. I must admit, felt a little uneasy when she bent down to tie the laces of my shoes. Trying to love in blue. I thought you'd never say hello, she said, you look like a silent type And she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me Written by an Italian poet from the 13th century And every one of them words rang true and glowed like burning coal Pouring off of every page like it was written in my soul But me to you Revolution in the air And he started into dealing with slaves And something inside of him died She had to sell everything she owned And froze up inside And when it finally the bottom fell out I became withdrawn The only thing I knew how to do Was to keep on keeping on Like a bird that flew their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Tasman Village, just outside Mochueka, Anna Hughes. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.